So welcome to listen University of Oulu's podcast called An Interview with Honorary Doctor. In this podcast, we will get to know more closely the lives and careers of honorary doctors who will be conferred in the 11th Conferment Ceremony of University of Oulu. The university has invited persons for conferment who have collaborated significantly with researchers in the University of Oulu. In addition, invitations have been made to persons who have distinguished themselves significantly in other ways in the society and for the benefit of operations of the university. Conferment of an honorary doctorate is the highest honor the university can confer to a person. My name is Peppi Karppinen. I am professor of medical biochemistry and dean of faculty of biochemistry and molecular medicine at, at University of Oulu. And our guest today is honorary doctor, Professor Sir Peter Ratcliffe. Welcome, Peter. Hi, hello. Okay, so let's start with a very topical question. So what kind of impact has this ongoing COVID-19 pandemia uh, had on your work and on your everyday life? Well, as you can imagine, quite a quite a considerable impact, uh, Pepe. Um, I'm working hard. I'm doing all sorts of things. I'm answering a hundred emails a day. Um, but what I'm achieving, I, I, I think, uh, not quite as much as I'd like. It's a problem in the UK. We're still on lockdown. Yes. But um, you are now in your office at Oxford University, so I gather that you are still allowed to go to the office. Well, we, we, we are doing some uh, COVID-related work. As you're aware, there has been a, an idea that uh, hypoxia biology is relevant to this, so we're, we're allowed to work on, on COVID-related uh, questions, and hypoxia is bound up with that, so... That's why I'm doing the uh, interview from my office because I, I have people working on those projects. Okay, so you are you have uh, fast tuned yourself into a virologist now. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, very interesting. Okay, well, let's start with the early phases of your life and your career, and and uh, go to your childhood first. So you were born in Lancashire in northwest England and studied medicine at University of Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Was medicine and, and an academic career always a clear choice for you? No, no, not at all, really. Um, I'm the first in the family to do it. Um, I have a little story which is quite amusing, I hope, about how that selection was made. I, I, I actually wanted to be a chemist, uh, a, a senior member of the family had been a successful chemist and that's what I thought I wanted to do. I can remember the time I changed my mind. I was in the chemistry lab at Lancaster Boys Grammar School, uh, State School. Um, the, the headmaster, quite a formidable figure in, in, a, in a gown, uh, came into the the chemistry laboratory, he, he said, uh, Ratcliffe, uh, might I have a word with you? 
And, you know, he, he was quite a formidable man. So immediately I left the lab and, and followed him to his study. He said, uh, Ratcliffe, I, I, I think you should study medicine at university. And, and we, 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 we changed the application form. We, we struck out medicine and wrote chemistry. And, and that, that was, I, I, I said, yes, sir. You know, he wasn't the sort of man that you would uh, argue with. And to this day, I don't really know whether he felt I would be a poor chemist or a good doctor. <laughs> the decision to study medicine, and it turned out fair enough. That's a very lovely story. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I guess that was so, sort of then then brings me to an, to to my next question. So that. Um, Can you tell us more about the state of your career where you decided that you actually uh, wanted to focus more on scientific research and really basic research than practicing medicine and treating patients? Sure. Well, it, it, the, the story is not dissimilar. I, I'm a little bit concerned about the planning of careers. Life has so many foreseen and unforeseen events that uh, it's very difficult to make plans. And I, again, did not do this. I, I, um, I decided I wanted to be a kidney specialist. And broadly speaking, um, I was flattered into that decision. And a, a respected uh, senior doctor said, Peter, I think you make a very good nephrologist. So I said, yes, that, that's what I'd like to do, just like that. Um, But there was a problem in that nephrology is an expensive specialty, and it certainly was then for the British Health Service. And the problem was there were no jobs. Uh, so I was mainly concerned with, with trying to become an NHS consultant nephrologist rather than an unemployed one, of which there were, were many. And um, someone brought it into focus. They said, uh, There are only going to be two jobs between now and year 2000. This is back in 1980. That, that statement was incorrect, but, but it sort of focused the mind. I, you better distinguish yourself. And, and what we used to do was write case reports. We, we looked at patients on the ward. That was really the only way to distinguish yourself. Write um, about what you saw on the ward. Now, that discipline of writing case reports, I think, is in science. It's very interesting. What you're doing is writing an analysis of a fixed data set, i.e. what your patient had and what tests were done and what conclusions you can draw from that. And, and that I began to enjoy. It taught me how to write and, and it taught me how to look at a problem with a view to solution. And ultimately, that was important. And I, I slowly moved over into retrained in molecular science after I'd trained as a nephrologist and, and uh, took on the hypoxia biology lab from there. Oh, that's interesting. So you didn't really start with basic science at all? I, I didn't start with basic science. These little case reports, uh, actually, some of them are quite interesting. Uh, but um, You sort of have to put them to the back of your CV when you're, you know, when you're nominated for some prize or other, and hope the juror didn't, the jury didn't 
sort of didn't notice that it all started off that way. But I, I think it's um, falsely denigrated. I think it's actually quite a good scientific training. Yes, yes, I fully agree. Well, you are the best known for your work on cellular reactions to hypoxia. And it's often said that in research, the subject chooses, chooses the researcher and not the other way around. Was this really the case with you too? No, to be honest, I, I don't think so, Pepe. I, I say I had no, I have no scientific training. I have no PhD, uh, so no one would come to me as a as a technical specialist with with their question. Um, what is really important and was important for me is it is the question that is important. So search hard for the question. Uh, and the answer will will follow. That that was absolutely key, uh, and I think is key for for young scientists. Uh, look, yeah, that's a very good advice. Which has a potential solution, and is is not one that everyone else is working on. So that that was that was the way it started. Yep. Well, your career has, in many ways, been very exceptional. Uh, you are one of the few persons uh, in the world who has won the Nobel Prize of Physiology or Medicine, something that every academic dreams about. Can you tell us more about the moment when the prize was awarded to you, along with Bill Kaling and Greg Semenza last well, year? Well, yeah, I, I can tell you about the day. It, it's quite a long day, actually, in, in, uh, in Stockholm. I, I got up. It's a beautiful morning. I, I like to do a little running. I ran carefully on the ice, uh, taking care that I realized that a, 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 a fractured wrist would be a bad idea to start the day. So we, we got through the uh, the run with, without any trouble. Um, they're very kind. They, they put the Lauritz up at the Grand Hotel, which is a very special uh, place. Uh, so I enjoyed one of the finest moments, which is having breakfast in the uh, Grand Hotel in, in Stockholm. That, that was a, a very special time. Um, the day was interesting. It didn't go uh, without its hitches. Um, shortly after breakfast, we, we had a little baby, uh, Beth, uh, first grandchild with us. And... Um, the anticipation was that the, the baby would, would come to the ceremony, the banquet, but discreetly in the background. And um, and then we learned that that was not to be, that the, the baby couldn't come. And um, this, of course, upset my daughter and my wife. And, uh, of course, the, the Nobel uh, Assembly is quite a powerful group of people. And we were now in, in conflict about where the baby should be allowed. But But I'm... You know, I, I knew how it was going to end. I got experience of some of the people that were concerned in the contest. So I, I went to a quiet place and, and learned how to put on my white tie. And um, eventually the conflict was, was resolved in the way that I foresaw. Um, the baby uh, it turned out to be the youngest ever to go, I think, to the ceremony at the banquet at, at seven weeks. So. Um, uh, my wife prevailed, as, as I've seen. Um, but but uh, yeah, no, it was an absolutely splendid evening. Um, 
turned in about just short of 5 a.m. after this student's party. It was a terrific uh, uh, performance by the Swedish nation, the Swedish royal family. The king was majestic. The, the queen was majestic and gracious. The princesses were beautiful. The banquet was splendid. And uh, it was a terrific day. They, they make you feel very special. Yeah, you gave an excellent speech at the uh, banquet there. Well, I gave a speech, Peppy. I, I hope, uh, of course, that does um, does keep matters under restraint until um, we deliver the speech. It is quite a long banquet, so and you give the speech at the end, so to be a little bit careful uh, during the banquet. But you made a very bold succession during the speech to rename the prize. Ah, yes, indeed. Well, and that is an issue. Have we won it for for physiology medicine? And uh, yeah. I think I wanted to say that the physiology is clear. Um, the medicine is evolving and takes time, and, and we're hopeful yeah. that we get medicines from this work. Yeah. Okay, so and it's not only the one day. I, I guess the celebrations... Um, continues for almost one week. Indeed. Yeah. Actually slightly over a week. Yes, yes, yeah. So are there, what, what else could you could you share with the listeners except of the, the really the exact day? So what happened before the, and after? Well, there is a really important thing, uh, uh, how, how to get through 15 champagne receptions in eight days. And uh, it, 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 you, you really you do need an element of, of restraint and, and pace to to manage it. But uh, actually, it wasn't too difficult. I enjoyed the week immensely, uh, and we had a great time. Very nice. Well, in addition to the Nobel Prize, you have been knighted by the Queen, and you have received numerous other scientific awards and honours for your work on hypoxia. How would you describe these other highlights in your career? Well, they're all good, but you know, what, what really matters, the moments that I, I remember are, are the experimental moments, the hydroxylase. Uh, you know, I, I, I can remember almost every second of, of that um, little introduction, Yamin Tian ringing me up with the, with the result from the hydroxylated peptides, Patrick Maxwell showing me the BHL blots, Chris Pugh and I developing the, the gels that show widespread operation of, of the EPO enhancer and hence widespread oxygen sensing uh, processes. The, the, these are the moments that I, I remember. The, the, the honours are great, but they, they come afterwards. Yeah. Well, I think that tells a lot about yourself and, and, and how you see life and, and, and science. So I, I guess you have not been aiming for these prizes. They have just... No, no, that is important. I, I, I don't aim and I don't think anyone else does. I don't think you can aim. There's so many uncertainties. There's a lot of luck in this. And uh, uh, basically the question was a good one. Uh, and... Um, the answer was going to come, and we were lucky enough to be part of that answer. Yeah. Could you just 
shortly tell the listeners what happened at Buckingham Palace when you when when you were knighted. That is something that that at least the Finnish listeners uh, are not very familiar yes, with at well, all. Um, it was the Princess Royal, Princess Anne, who who, who uh, did the ceremony for me. Uh, she she does indeed touch you on the shoulder uh, with a sword uh, while you're kneeling down, and um, there were pretty strict instructions. Um, after this, the, the the princess will ask a few questions, and you engage in conversation, uh, and then uh, she will offer you her hand to shake. And at that point, you stop the conversation and, and move on. So it's someone else's uh, turn. So we, we were all told that. Uh, she she was, did a marvellous job. And uh, I rather expected that with so many people being honoured, uh, she, she would have the speech out of order. So it would perhaps congratulate me on my services to the British Navy or something. But she had it all uh, perfectly understood. I couldn't see any speaking notes. Most impressive. But uh, we had a few uh, questions about hypoxia research, and then we moved on. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, as we both know, collaboration plays a big part in research. What are your methods of collaboration? Well, yeah, I think it's important, particularly from a technical perspective. So one, one, um, one important thing, I think human beings are too suspicious in the modern world of other human beings. We're too slow to ask advice. So one of the things that has brought success to the Oxford lab uh, has been our, our willingness to ask advice. If we see people who know more about a subject than we do, then that's a very good means for very good reason for collaboration. So this, to be clear, this was problem-orientated research. I'm not a technologist, so we needed to encompass different technologies and different areas of expertise. So the collaborations were extremely important in, in working our way through the oxygen sensing system because it was a problem that we were trying to get other people to, to help us with. How was your connection to University of Oulu formed? Well, that was a natural connection when we knew we were dealing with the prolyl hydroxylase, because, of course, this has been a world centre for work on the collagen prolyl hydroxylases since uh, Kiri Kiviriko um, uh, initiated or, or, or rather um, followed this line of research over, over some decades, I guess. Yes. Well, from your perspective, what has been done in Oulu that has made an impact uh, with you? Well, I think the, the, the Oulu, um, the, the, the thing I admire about the Oulu work is a combination of biochemistry and... and uh, cell and whole animal physiology. It, it's rather unusual to, to get these skills together and uh, it's rather important for this, uh, this problem because we are taking a biochemical reaction um, capable of being described kinetically uh, and we're trying to deduce how, how that is 
shaped into physiological oxygen homeostasis and, and the Olu uh, work on that has been uh, a very big contribution. Thanks. So then if we think of uh, a bit uh, advanced, so what changes uh, have you seen taking place in research and, and uh, how has uh, the latest development in technology and, and, for example, big data and things like that changed your working methods or your research questions or, or anything? Well, we've, ju- we've tried to keep up with everything as it's come along, tried to use it for our advantage, and it, practically everything has changed. Uh, when, when I started, we, we did RNAs protection assays. That is because someone who was advising m- myself um, felt that uh, PCR, polymerase chain reaction, could never be quantitative never be quantitative. It was an amplification, so it would always uh, be non-quantitative. So uh, all of that has changed. Now PCR, uh, qPCR is is a standard method of assay. You you ask about informatics. um, We, we of course, do a lot of mass spectrometry now, and, and that has transformed beyond recognition since of the 20 years since we first started using it. And Remains a challenge, um, but but it's it's changed out of recognition, uh, and of course we do a lot of pan genomic uh, next generation sequencing work. It's more difficult to supervise, I would say. That there are more dark stages with with, with the cell biology. Uh, most of the steps are overt. You 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 can easily see if a gel has been correctly loaded or where there might be uh, uncertainties. Uh, the, the computational uh, output is, is very difficult to, to understand where the difficulties might, might be. But sure, we, we try to run with the, with the novel technologies and, and apply them where we can. Yeah. Can you reveal the listeners what are you currently studying? Well, um, yeah, of course. Um, One of the great things about winning the Nobel Prize is is that they can't take it away from you. They they rarely take it away. And um, so it's possible to point out that what you've achieved was only a small part of the answer to the question. So we we understood the, uh, the, the means of control of the transcriptional response. That's the response that's occurring over hours or days. Uh, as you'll know, oxygen lack is, is a problem within seconds, uh, and oxygen homeostasis constrains uh, human development, which, which, of course, gives you the body pattern, which is much longer term in relation to um, problems with oxygen homeostasis. So that we believe there are all sorts of other questions and mechanisms of sensing and mechanisms of integration that are they're important to to study and that's what we're continuing to do okay then uh let's talk about a little bit of of the next generation scientists so what would be your advice to the young generation of scientists at least i think you already sort of gave gave one advice but but um 
What would be, for example, if if I, I if you were asked for three points that you consider the most important for a successful research career? What would uh, I, be? I think I, I did I did give you the most important one, Pepe. I I still think that it's a question that's important. So search for the question, the answer will follow. I I I think that time spent considering what you're going to do and why you're going to do it is, is, is very important. I think it's important to learn to express yourself very well in writing. We all have to raise money for our grants. We publish our work. We explain our ideas. They're dependent on a huge knowledge base, which may not be available to other people. So it's very important to write and express your ideas clearly. Uh, and then I think it's, it's important not to get drawn into a fashionable subject where you'll be joining a thousand other researchers and your chance of contributing, your chance of publishing in a popular journal is high. And that's very beguiling. It's a draw. But your chance of actually solving the problem ahead of others in a distinctive way is very low. So, so please avoid that trap. You'll, you'll need to be very brave to avoid it because the draw to do what everyone else is doing is in incredibly strong. But don't. Thank you. Excellent advices. Okay, then um, let's finish by um, talking about the honorary doctorate that you are about to receive. So how does it feel like to be conferred as an honorary doctor? Well, it, it is a, it's a great honor to be recognized in, in, in this way in another place, quite a long way from Oxford, from London, where I am. So, so that's, that's, um, that's a, it's a great honor and, and uh, very nice. I, I think there's also a personal element here. I, I feel I'm amongst friends with with the, you people and oh, um, that's at a at a national and at a personal level. You, you're probably aware of the problems with with Brexit, but um, the Nordic countries and and the UK were always rather aligned in Europe. So I, I, I think this is a little sadness, but we have an affinity for. For you, um, for the Nordic countries, and at, at a personal level, I've, I've many friends in Finland, and uh, very pleased to be coming in this way. Oh, we're very happy to hear that. Um, and and my final question would be that if you were, uh, if you would be asked to describe University of Oulu with three words, what would those words be? Hmm. Well, I, I only know the university scientifically. The, 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 the science is strong. Um, it, it's also a young city, so it, it has the enthusiasm and energy for young people. But I think it also has, it doesn't go over the top. It, it, it has the formal discipline of, of science, the rigor of science. So that combination of energy and, and rigor is a good one, I think, and, and one that you should preserve. Thank you very much uh, for the interview, Professor Peter Radcliffe. No, thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm.